you're listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process. I'm your host, Mike Petchy. And yes, you are tuning in to the latest on our Fujifilm creator series. These are series that are put together by our f- friends and folks and our sponsors, our partners over at Fujifilm. Uh, they send me uh, a bunch of filmmakers and cinematographers that they are currently doing projects with. And what I find exciting about Fujifilm is that as a company that creates tech, they spend a lot of money helping filmmakers make their films, their short films, to give them the spotlights that they need to push ahead in their career. And it's a rare thing. That's why they're super cool. That's why they're a part of this show. I'm very excited to be partnered up with them. Um, and today's episode is a great one. We're going to be showcasing some New York filmmakers. New York films have a very specific tone and a very specific uh, feeling and vibe about them. And sure, you can say a lot of like Woody Allen has stuff to do with it, Cassavetes, like all these different Scorsese, all these different filmmakers. There is this energy that exists on the streets of New York that somehow bakes itself well, when I was there, it was baking itself on celluloid, but it, it also can be captured with ones and zeros if you're shooting digitally. There is this really cool, you know, vibe in that city. It's the electricity about it. Uh, if you've been listening to the show, uh, you know that I have, was went to school briefly in New York City, and that was where I learned to produce films. And there was something so exciting about running out there with our 16 millimeter camera black and white reversal we were shooting and uh you know putting putting sticks on a sidewalk and shooting an actor walking towards us in a crowd of people and no one giving a fuck (laughs) there's something so great about that uh although there is that one story that i think i've told on the show where we were shooting on a roof one night and there was this guy who would wait. He was on. He was in his window, and he'd wait to hear the assistant director call action, and then he'd start screaming. Ah! And then we would call cut. And he'd stop screaming, and we just went over there. And we were like, "What are you doing?" He's like, "Pay me to stop." <laughs> New York City. I miss that place. I really do. I don't know if I want to live there full time, but I, I do miss it. I miss the energy. I like being there when I got something to do. When I got some work or if I'm hanging out with friends, there is an excitement to just put this melting pot of very strong personalities and very strong cultures all crammed in together, all giving a shit about each other because they have to. Everybody's so close. Um, and I love that about that place. And I'm excited about the filmmakers on today's show because I saw their trailer and it's this film called Harlem Fragments. And uh, I'm, I'm pumped. There's a whole lot of like genre bending that's going on with this and the trailer doesn't give away much so i haven't seen the film yet but through our conversation today i'm very excited to see it because i respect the level of prep and work and collaboration that has gone into making this movie and it it sounds like it's right on my alley so I'm, i'm pumped about that so on today's show we're joined by director cameron tyler carr so he's the director of harlem fragments we talk about how he got into this business and why directing is important to him. We talk about how this film is made. Gina's phone is in the background. She's giving us the Pink Panther alerts. Hi, Gina. Say hello. Hi. There she is. Put, put your phone on silent. You're disrespecting the audience. Yeah, you're disrespecting the audience. I was kind enough to let you work in our big studio space today. 
disrespecting the audience. Also um, joining the podcast today is the cinematographer of Harlem Fragments. Uh, and she has been, uh, I think this is the second or third film that they've done together. So obviously there is a partnership here that is creating good content. Uh, Nona uh, Katasanu. I think I said that right. I think I said that right. So it's Katasanu. Nona joins us on the show uh, and she has been shooting beautiful short films. She's done so many different short films and uh, she has a lot of wisdom to share with the young filmmakers on the show and uh, her and I get real nerdy about cinematography and uh, the three of us go deep into the language of cinema. You're going to be hammered with this. If you're listening to this show and you're sitting here with us, come on in. Those of you who want to join, come on. If it's the first time, have a seat. And I'm warning you, you're going to be hammered with this constant lecturing that I do about the visual language of cinema and how important it is if you want to be a filmmaker to understand it, to study it, to learn it, to watch more things than just whatever bullshit TV show Marvel's putting out recently. You have to go back. Do yourself a favor. You're going to hear me say it on the show later. Uh, go get a subscription to the Criterion channel. They don't sponsor the show. Criterion, if you're listening, you should, but they don't sponsor the show. And it is the best place to study the language of cinema to study where it all starts to study all these small barely noticeable techniques that are underneath all of these visual effects and everything else that make us feel connected to the character we're going to get into it with both cam and nona on today's show but before we do i want to thank everybody for following me on instagram at mike petchy and following the podcast at love of the process pod that's a love of the process pod on instagram Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for supporting 12KM and asking to see the film. It has been a roller coaster ride of getting as many DMs out as possible. I don't know when this show drops. I'm recording this on the 24th of July right now. We're, we're, we're actually, this is a little behind the scenes for you. I'm spending time and queuing up a bunch of episodes because I want to be free once the strike is over because I got a lot of work to do. So um, I don't know when this is going to drop, but currently... On the 24th of July, I just spent like three hours last night. I sent out like 3,000 DMs in three hours. It's as fast as your boy can go without automating things. Um, and it's been great. The feedback has been great. Everybody loves the movie. And I'm so excited for so many of you who are now listening to the podcast because you're fans of 12KM. Welcome. We have people from all over the fucking planet listening to the show. It blows my mind that this asshole's voice is broadcasting all over the place. It's crazy. It's fun. I'm excited. Welcome. You're going to learn a lot. So without further ado, let's get into it. Both Nona and Cam have a lot to talk about, and uh, we're going to get nerdy about cinema and filmmaking, and there's a lot of great tips in here if you are creating your short and what to do with it. So by the end of the episode, we're going to talk about that. So strap in, grab a nice, comfortable seat. You got a snack? I don't. I didn't go grocery shopping, so I got nothing to fucking eat right now. I'm starving. Grab yourself something to eat. I'm jealous. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the brand new episode of The Love of the Process.
Cam, Nona, thanks for being on the show. How are you guys? Good. Good. Oh, Happy okay. to be here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Is this your first podcast? <laughs> yeah. Absolutely my first. I think that was my computer right there. I might have just skipped. <laughs> Yeah, t- turn up the amp up the uh, the energy. I know it's a Monday. <laughs> <laughs> you both are on. You, are you both in New York? Are you in Los Angeles? Oh, uh, I'm in Romania. Oh, you're in Romania. Why, this is like such a such a tough thing to. I, I'm so thankful that everybody's available at the right time because I'm literally on a different continent. Oh my god, yeah, Nona is. Nona is the real Carmen San Diego. Um, every time I try to find her, she's like, "Hey, I'm actually um, underwater." Um, I'm usually but- in the subway. Okay, let's be real; it's never that exciting. Uh, yes, I'm out of. I'm holding down the New York port while she's gone. Um, out of my Harlem HQ. Nice, nice. Okay, well, my snarky comment was going to be, "You guys are three hours ahead of me. You're supposed to be you're supposed to have more more pep." But I don't know what's going on in Romania. What, what time is it in Romania right now? 9.30 p.m. Okay. So Ooh. I've still got a little bit of energy. Okay. It's not, a little juice left, yeah. Yeah, not quite bedtime. What are you doing in uh, our, What are you doing over there right now? Um, I am, so I was, I was born and raised in Romania. And up until um, I started working full-time as an adult, I would go back every year for months at a time. So I'm very, very close to my friends, to my family here. Oh, nice. Um, but I hadn't been back in almost five years, and it was about time. So it's been a really, it's been a really special trip. But it's also been a really hectic trip because it's a lot of folks I want to see, a lot of new babies, a lot of new humans <laughs> that I had to meet. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's been a good reset. It's been nice to get mm-hmm. out of the city for a little while, and it's been nice mm-hmm. to have this shift in perspective. So I'm you- sure everybody's kind of. Yes. Dealing with right now. Yes. You need it. You really do need it. It took me a while. And on that, I did the same thing because I'm in Los Angeles and I'm originally from the East Coast. So I started as a Boston filmmaker and was uh, trained in New York, lived in New York for a while, and then did the begrudgingly East Coast thing, which was like, I guess I'll move to Los Angeles. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's been great. I love it here. It's really great. Um, You know, so I will, you know, I'll swallow my pride and go, I was wrong. It's really great. People are nice here. And, um, but uh, I had to go back home uh, because I hadn't seen family in a bunch. And there's just something about like this business. And I don't know if you guys feel this in New York. I th- I'm sure you do. But there's something about this business that is just over fucking whelming sometimes. And it's mm-hmm. the politics of this business. Like mm-hmm. everything just starts to invade in your day-to-day thinking. And I find that when I'm sort of dragged out of my seat and and pulled into a different environment, I'm just like, oh, no one here gives a shit about any of that. Oh, this is really <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's a good cleanse, if you will. Yeah. Um, well, let's start here at the beginning. Uh, so I saw the trailer. I'm excited. Uh, Harlem Fragments. I haven't obviously haven't seen the film yet, but uh, it looks gorgeous. Uh, it, Thank you. It very much feels... Like, and I mean this in the most positive way, it very much feels like a New York film to me, which, love it. which love it. I love New York That's films. That's the highest compliment. <laughs> yeah, we we want to hear that. Right there, yeah. <laughs> good, good, good. I'm excited and I'm pumped that, uh, you know, Fujifilm uh, put us together because uh, I think we got a lot yeah. of stuff to talk about, man. So let's, totally. let's start here at the beginning. Cameron, let's start with you. Why directing? 
why did you decide that directing is your art form? <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, well, first of question all, for you. Yeah, you know, just, uh, oh, I, I love this. No, um, <laughs> first of all, just honored to be here, and thanks for thanks for hopping on with us. I think we've been excited for this for a minute. Um, cool. In terms of why directing, um, you know, I think my family can tell you from a from a young age. Um, always been an artist in a few different forms. I think uh, no one is similar in that. But um, I was as soon as I kind of. You know, my dad would always show show me these movies, whether it was like, you know, the classic dad, like James Bond series <laughs> or like, you know, exclusively Sean Connery for a bit. Of and course, then, you know, course. Indiana Jones um, and all these kind of like and then the, the you know, Bruce Lee's. Um, and I just got into, you know, storytelling and adventures and all that stuff. And that fused with my grandpa who showed me, you know, he would show me all of these old school uh, comic books. You know, my my first my favorite, you know, comic book character is black panther not mm. just because you know my association with him but like because my grandpa showed me the comics from the 60s because uh, he was an antique collector oh, um, cool. so all of that you know kind of culminated into uh this this type of storytelling and i hopped around um from drawing from sketching to making comic books you know i'm talking like when i was like six to eight mm-hmm. um to like picking up a home video camera and making movies with just my sister and i and we would like act out every role and um, do these little like missions and my dad's a, a Vietnam vet. So we would always like have him be the commander briefing us on this like secret spy movie. Anyways, all that to say, you know, cut to grown up cam. Um, I think I, you know, I was a double major in media studies and visual arts in college mm-hmm. and a lot of film and production, but also fused with, you know, performance art and uh, experimental film. Um, and that kind of culminated as I graduated, you know, I, I really was, again, this is like the, the blind youth, you know, I was like, I'm going to move to Tokyo and just get into commercial advertising, like just, you know, start doing, like directing over there. Wow. And then I quickly realized, um, you know, in order to get over there you need, on a worker's visa, you need to, you know, if you're not connected to somebody or plugged in, you need to start by teaching English for a year. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Why, why Tokyo? <laughs> what a random spot to decide. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I went abroad there in college and before that, you know, again, it hailed to, you know, my drawing inspos. And then I, once I was out of like the anime manga, yada, yada, uh, you know, I actually then downloaded like the technology and the culture and the, and the food aspects of the place. And that's when I was like, Oh, if I'm going to go abroad anywhere, let me investigate this, uh, this, this place over there that I, you know, otherwise would never really be able to get to. Yeah. And then I got there and I realized how much, you know, let alone Japan, uh, but let alone Asia in general, is just another planet from my experience growing up. And I'm such a city kid that I love, just launching into, you know, random fresh new cities, whether it's like Berlin or Tokyo. But that so when I was when I was finished after like six months, I was like, oh, I'm clearly not done here. This is this is such an insane place. I'm just getting started. Um, and so I tried to launch back over there and then I realized, you know, okay, well you gotta jump through a few hoops to get back over there just due to immigration and such. But uh, then I was like, you know what, let me start my <laughs> New York HQ over here. And uh, you know, coming out of college without any internships, I was doing a bunch of PA gigs and learning the the filmmaking rodeo of, of you know free PA gigs and and all of this you know <laughs> putting in your time and you know yep. and I was like all right this is this is awesome I'm learning a lot but living in New York City I am not going to survive um, so let me see if I can get a little pragmatic with it the way I define myself is I'm a pragmatic optimist but mm-hmm. uh, that's when I found advertising that there's like kind of this this dichotomy between creativity and business within that and so I was like. Let me see if I can establish myself within this advertising world where I can keep my creative skills sharp, mm-hmm. but also establish as a creative, like, 
business skills and like, you know, start to get savvy with it and, and know how to, you know, wrestle, a, you know, five mil out of this old white exec before the end of day, or he's not gonna have his commercial done, you know, so it's like, <laughs> getting those skills uh, really helped me. And, and then cut to, you know, I'm, I'm wrapping it up here, but cut to, uh, you know, a few years ago, when I was finally able to get back into, you know, uh, actual proper filmmaking, mm-hmm. off the clock, and just basically, anytime relentlessly when I was in my bat cave. And from there, you know, I, I did a did my first kind of you know, festival circuit last year with one of my short films. And then year two from those contacts and connects that I, and, and crews that I've met, mm-hmm. I've gone on to make, you know, four to five more projects um, just from that constantly pounding. And, and again, all, all of them in my back cave all working, but now it's kind of for the first time I'm, um, you know, I've left my job in advertising and I can fully commit full throttle to, um, you know, filmmaking. And that's kind of what the start was with Harlem Fragments, which was such an awesome time. And I think Nona, who can <laughs> go go next more eloquently, but is such a good example of, of you know, how you approach filmmaking and, and, you know, are able to truly swim and not just tread water, but yeah. flowing with, uh, you know, uh, working on a bunch of projects as a veteran. So, Well, that's cool. And I'm going to put a pin in the advertising thing. I, I want to come back to that because oh, yeah. there's a conversation to be had there. But uh, no, no, let's, let me throw that question at you. So why was it cinematography that spoke to you? Did you start out wanting to be a director or did you always want to be a cinematographer? Like what was your path to get here? Um, well, I, I really came out of fine arts and painting. Mm. I think I had really wanted to go in that direction. And I got into film school, but I got into film school on a, on a photo portfolio. And I was like, all right, um, filmmakers make more money than fine artists. <laughs> Little did I know. <laughs> um, but I, I, you know, at, at the time I'm didn't know what a cinematographer was. Um, I loved films, uh, but I, I, you know, I had no idea what the roles were and that um, you only really hear about the director, right? You hear about the director mm-hmm. and, and you know the actors, but I truly had no idea um, who the person that actually put the images together or no, not put the images together, but you cut that part out. Anyway. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, but I, I know who was guiding the sort of uh, visual, the visual trajectory of the film, right? Is what you're exactly, saying? Exactly. Yeah. And I was, as soon as I find, found out about um, the art of cinematography, I was like, that's the thing. That's the thing that I want to do. I want to create images. It, it felt like a very easy transition into filmmaking because it was something that I knew how to do already through other mediums. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And I've only ever wanted to be a DP. Um, And it has been really, really hard. It's not, um, I I, I did go to film school. I didn't think it was particularly, at least my, my undergrad, I didn't think it was particularly useful because it was not a school that was, uh, that catered to cinematography necessarily. I mm-hmm. feel like I got a good film education. Um, and I started working, but I didn't feel like I was really still understanding what my role was on set. So I ended up going to grad school. I went to, um, I went to Prague. Um, I went to FAMU. I went and studied cinematography specifically. Mm-hmm. And I like to say that it taught me everything that um, it taught me how much I didn't know. Right. (laughs) And it really, 
enabled me to ask the right questions and to seek out the right knowledge because it's a, a very long process. And I didn't even know the questions that I should have been asking. And I didn't even know what to be looking for. And I think it really changed my outlook of what my job was supposed to be. And I lived uh, lived and worked in Prague for three years. I moved back to New York um, about seven years ago now. Mm-hmm. And that's when I really went full throttle of this is all I want to do. Um, and I really, I think, I don't know if it, if it was purposeful because I, I like you really love horror movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really went into genre movies because I felt like they were, um, they were a place where a lot was asked of me and I love the challenge. I love the challenge of, um, really seeing something beyond the, realistic approach or the realism yeah i agree with you i I completely agree with you on the horror movie stuff to jump in here real quick like i think that the uh, the genre of horror the audience is so much more in on how we do things and they have such a greater respect for uh being experimental and 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 uh being a bit more impressionistic with stuff and i think Mm -hmm. that from a visual standpoint um it's just a lot more fun than yes. sort of having to dial in, you know, because yes. I started as a cinematographer too. It's trying to dial in naturalism and realism. And you sort of hit a point where you go like, how many fucking windows do I have to shoot in front of? <laughs> Can we right. like this to be right. cool? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think, I think there's also a lot of directors want, or rather a lot of directors will confuse naturalism with, available light they'll be Mm -hmm. like oh it just looks that way and i'm like it sure as hell does not look that way (laughs) not at all and i think when you get into um when you get into a specific genre and get into genre filmmaking they're very aware that okay we need to we need to tweak that it has to feel like a different world we're very much so wanting to create a completely different atmosphere and i think that also um yeah, that really that really helps me. Um, it challenges me, and it challenges me in a good way. It's never the same thing twice. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's been that's kind of been my my trajectory. Um, Very cool. I mean, it's nice to hear. So I've had this conversation with pl- plenty of cinematographers uh, and on the show with plenty of cinematographers that have been guests on the show, and it's the big question is always like what is the best path into being a, a successful DP? And like anything in this business, there is no set path. There's no fucking sense of gravity on anything. Uh, but uh, I had a, a conversation with one of my friends. He was like, I think I'm just going to go DIT and be on a crew and sort of make my way up to the crew and do that stuff. And I said, that's cool, man. I think that's definitely a way into the business, but there's something more valuable to me as a director. If you're someone that understands at the same time, understands, you know, the classic art, understands how to create images beyond just the lens, understands the, uh, the uh, unspoken language that is the visual arts. Um, Mm. And it's nice to hear that you come from that. And I think a lot of photographers come from that. But I also feel like some photographers hit sort of like a wall when it goes from translating a moment in a still image to communicating with movement and communicating with all these different tools, uh, the subtle uh, unspoken messaging that you can do with uh, cinema. Did you feel that 
was it was it an interesting sort of barrier for you to cross through or were you just fully immersed in that to begin with I mean, absolutely. I think it's different. I, I think it's difficult for everyone because I think we have an innate, everybody has an innate ability to compose. And now that we all have smartphones, I think like everybody has this beautiful natural way that they see the world and that they make it fit within a rectangle. Sure. I think it's much more difficult to create a three-dimensional space and a two-dimensional image. And that's and, and in painting, that's not really expected of you, right? You have so mm-hmm. much freedom in what you paint. It's not always going to be the thing that's sitting in front of you. With filmmaking, um, I find that one of the most difficult things working with folks is really how do you translate this movement through space in a way that makes sense and that doesn't confuse the audience Mm -hmm. and that's really difficult to do because we just don't think in that way right we're always Mm -hmm. we're always within our own perspective we're never cut out of it and into a different scene Mm -hmm. (laughs) so to to shoot in such a way that it makes it possible to then stitch those moments together Mm -hmm. flawlessly um, or have them be jarring, you know, takes a lot of, of understanding and control. And, um, I think that's really hard to get to that point, not just if you come from photography, but no matter what your background is, it's, it's going to be a, a journey to get there. I agree. I agree. And I, I think that what a lot of folks don't realize, <clears throat> I think filmmaking in general, but we'll be specific about cinematography for like a hot second here. I think, uh, good cinematography is l- like a layered cake. And so you have all these different layers that you can be manipulating and you can be playing with to get the audience to feel a specific way. And the first layer is always just the simplistic, which is like, how much coverage do I need in this scene in order for it to be cut in the room? How much coverage do I need in order for the edit to play out? And then as you're sort of building on top of that layer, you're like, okay, so if I'm going to go with a wide and I'm going to go with a close-up lens for coverage, what lens should I do? What's the depth of field say about where the character is in this moment? What is being able to see more of the background and, instead of less of the background? What does that mean? Okay, great. There's a layer. And then you start to add on the, the next layer, which is like, okay, movement. How does the camera move? How does the camera feel? And then you start to add on like, well, what's the colors? What's the production value? Boom, 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 boom. And so when you look at this business – and there's a lot of young cinematographers that are just trying to get their head wrapped around the, the first layer of it. Uh, right. The thing that's exciting about this business to me is that you could be working at it until you're 80 fucking nine years old and you might just have had your head wrapped around layer four <laughs> right. of right. this insanity that is such a beautifully uh, crafted and unspoken language that is cinema, you know? Oh, absolutely. And I think most folks get their... Um, film education from watching movies Mm -hmm. and they're usually watching films that have an insane amount of resources so if that's the point that you're trying to emulate without really seeing all those layers for what they are you're giving yourself a very difficult goal to reach Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it it takes it definitely takes whatever your kind of studying is it takes a lot of studying to realize that those layers are there and that there are so many departments that help create those layers and that they all have to work in tandem and that all of them have to be aware of what the other one is doing so that 
um, the cake doesn't topple. <laughs> I was trying to think of a cake metaphor. It's good. It's good. That's a good one. Yeah. And I, I think that, yeah, and Cam, you could jump in on this too, man. Like, I think that there is this, especially with younger folks, right? There is this sort of allergy <laughs> to going and watching older cinema. And th- th- there's a lot of younger folks that are like, it's in black and white, or it's in a different language, or mm-hmm. it's a silent film. And I keep explaining to people like, your best friend, and they're de- they don't sponsor me, they should, your best friend is the Criterion Channel subscription. It just <laughs> yes. is. Absolutely. It just is. Because everything is stripped down. So if you're if you're jumping yeah. in at, how many years has cinema been around? I, we're not 200 yet, right? Aren't we? Like, if you're jumping in year now for fucking, like, Avengers, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're in that whole swirl of, like, CGI rubber bodies smashing up against each other. <laughs> it's hard to see the language that's underneath all of that. And if you go back and you watch you know, some old uh, Kurosawa, if you go back and you watch mm-hmm. some Cassavetes, if you go back and watch some of the New York cinema, some of the greats in New York, because oftentimes they didn't have a lot of money in New York City mm-hmm. to do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You start to see the origins of the language. Like, is that a thing for you? Are you constantly studying cinema, Cam? Yeah, I mean, I, I, first of all, just loving this uh, loving this talk so far on this, this just in terms of cinematography. I think uh, Nona and I both are we like picky cakes. Um, so <laughs> I'd say mine is, is a, a complex molten lava cake. So, um, <laughs> but, um, but to, just to go into that. Yeah. I mean, I think that's if, just, first of all, it's like you have all these resources of, of films that are out there and it's, it, it's, especially, I mean, you're talking about criterion already. It's like, that's an encyclopedia mm-hmm. that you can just walk in and it's curated for you. Um, but yeah, I've always been, I've always been just like, I'm always going to be a student, a student of what can I do and how can I learn? And, and I think, you know, Kurosawa is one of my, you know, biggest, uh, I think just, just reading his biography. I'm like, yeah. I, I keep, I keep that on repeat. Um, yeah. but yeah, I mean, there, there are so many influences from the past. I mean, I think Nona and I worked, we worked on a short prior to this and the, there's this one shot in there that I just can't get out of my head. I just see Metropolis mm-hmm. and every time I watch it and it's just, I'll have to, I'll have to show you that shot. Nona. But, um, you know, it's, it's just that, that you're, there's so much out there that you can constantly be downloading, constantly absorbing. And my, my thought is, you know, for these, for these young guns, we'll call them, um, I think who are, who are breaching in and, you know, have only seen a green screen or et cetera. I think there are ways to absorb from the past, but then also, you know, this is kind of what I, my approach is I always love to absorb the past and influences that are, you know, I get informed from a bunch of different reference points, but then I like to see how I can flip them on their head mm-hmm. and kind of add my spin on it, add my, add my style to it. I think even, you know, within Harlem fragments, I mean, we've got everything from, you know, the modern day moonlight references to, uh, you know, some, some shining moments. Um, mm-hmm. some... A lot of shining moments. Remember, <laughs> we are a horror family here. Oh yes. Oh yes. You know, and we're, we're a genre bending, um, you know, realm, but, uh, yeah. So it's, I, I think it's just constantly, um, for me, I'm constantly downloading. That's, that's just how I am as a, as a person, as a, as a curious, you know, um, explorer. And I think that yeah. you like, and, and, that, and that goes across, you know, we're talking about, uh, old old cinema and such but also if you if you step off off the continent you know if you step off yep. into another realm you again get influenced and it flips it i think that's the biggest thing again that taught me how to flip things on its head right you go over to 
Korean cinema, you go mm-hmm. over to, uh, you know, like we were just talking about Kurosawa. I mean, you go to, you go to old school Germany. I mean, it's just, there's so many different reference points, you know, we can talk French new wave. I'm not going to go there, but like so many, so many influences that you can constantly be downloading. And I think my favorite thing is when people tell me, you know, Oh, you gotta, you haven't seen that. Go, go watch that. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, Nona has, uh, versatile in her craft of the the types of stuff that she makes but she always tells me the the good like (laughs) well shot docs that i and i'm a sucker for those because it's just like again there's i I don't really think there should be a i mean you know maybe there's a distinction but i think as much as you can adapt and merge and again genre bend you know if if there is a way to within experimental film show a little bit of that docu Mm -hmm. style Mm -hmm. uh, but also on its on on the flip end in a in a documentary kind of show some some narrative approaches i think it's just there's so much room to play and and i think like you said we're you know we're coming into this this whatever century of cinema but it's gonna it's gonna keep evolving because as Mm -hmm. you see in modern day it's like it's always riveting and groundbreaking when people do try something different and i think when we see that it works uh i think the masses when the masses see that it works it's like sensational um and and it becomes a whole new wave so yeah i love that stuff well and <clears throat> i'm gonna be frank i think that one of the things that i'm trying to do on the show consistently is just to remind yeah. folks that there is something more to cinema and there is this language in cinema that you can't necessarily find on youtube <laughs> like there's yeah the YouTube yeah. school of cinema is is great if you want to learn very specific tasks. Like if you're in post-production, mm-hmm. you're like, how the fuck do I get that mask to animate from left to right? YouTube's really yeah. great for that. Or yeah. you'll get uh, YouTubers that will do video essays on like the art of a shot. And there'll be some of that mm-hmm. stuff that's really good. It, mm-hmm. It's almost the equivalent of what uh, your, your book would be in film school. It'd be like chapter right. one or chapter two in film school. And yeah. yeah, it's a toolkit. Yeah, exactly. And, and so you make a really good point about really just sort of getting out of your comfort zone, which is very hard to do right now with streaming mm. services and algorithms. Because right. they very much are like, you like fucking cheeseburgers? Here's 400 fucking <laughs> cheeseburgers for you to choose from. Right. Uh, exactly. And it's it takes effort to do this. It actually takes effort for you to break out of the sort of mindless brainwashing that's been going on in, mm-hmm. in our cinema to, to get something great. And I think that audiences are ready for it. I'm, I'm fascinated with everything that went on last weekend with uh, Oppenheimer and the Barbie movie mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm. that's going on with those two filmmakers that are celebrated for being filmmakers and making those movies, which is great. Um and, you know, I think the audiences are hungry to get back into creative, magical cinema. And I, I, it's, I think it's very hard to find currently in the corporate structure of, you know, cheeseburger cells that we're yeah. getting. Um, I don't know. That's me ranting for like a hot second there. <laughs> no, I love it. I think it's, you know, we, we can talk about Barbenheimer as much as we want. But I honestly, like, you know, you'll, you'll see in this, when you see this cut, I mean, I think it's just a, just in that realm of magical realms. Like it's such a, it's a, it's a portal jump. It messes with the manipulation of time and space. And I think that's, yeah. And and I think that's just kind of where we tried to push with the story of Harlem fragments is that it's just like this, you know, it's a, it's a, I think it's a new realm, a new style of storytelling. And that's kind of like, you know, you, you, you go to your question of why directing. I think that's always been my mission of if I'm going to make my, directorial debut it's like i I gotta 
you know, jump into mm-hmm. this, this new type of storytelling and, and, you know, this dynamic of messing with that time and space. Um, yeah. Well, I've felt that way too, as a director, but I don't know if you feel, yeah. I don't know if you feel this way, but there's, there's often, and I think a lot of the stress comes from the business the, mm. and, and specific, specifically in the genre business. So like the horror genre business where suddenly you feel like the money people and the studios are on the hunt for, I don't know, the, the next lights out or the next swimming pool. Or it, mm. and, and typically in our world, it's reduced down to something that is very inexpensive to make because most people are like, we're not going to give you more than $2 million and we want $300 million return. Um, but also yep. they're like, it needs to be some sort of gimmicky kind of thing where it's like, okay, fuck. So I have to come up with some sort of gimmicky idea and I have to shoot this whole thing in a room and ugh. And I I felt personally as a director, I do less because I want to put out the quality of stuff that I want to work on. And I don't mm-hmm. necessarily want to be the king of found footage fucking movies. I want to be <laughs> the king of the worlds that I build and the stuff that I do. Um, and I think that's just the sense of maintaining patience and then maintaining vision for yourself as an artist. Mm. And it sounds like you feel that way to a certain extent, if this is what you're which you were saying about trying to break the rules and push into a genre that you like, right? Yeah. And I, and I think that's a great point that you make in terms of like that value system. And, you know, there was, there's a lot of ways we could have made this short film, right? At the end of the day, it's a short film and, you know, you could pull it off, uh, you can find a way, but I think, <laughs> you know, the crazy in me really, you know, no, no, knows as well. I was, I was, <laughs> you know, throwing this, this crazy concept, uh, even in script development, I think, uh, there was a there was a moment where I was like, I think this needs to have a component of animation to it, mm. um, and I, and not just a component. I think it's actually the undercurrent and the vehicle of of how we you know get this story across. That's 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 a reveal for when you see the actual picture, but in the trailer, it's, it's not there. But you know, it, it's a it's a device, and so you know, it, it became a, a mission to me of well, you know, yeah, we can get it. You know, there, I'd be in rooms and, hey, is there a way we can do this just in case, you know, if you don't get animation, how we can pull it off? Yeah, of sure, course, there's, sure. you know, it's all, you know, but I think it was, it was almost, uh, you know, a, a necessity for me to go and, and find a way to, to pull off, um, you know, and I, and I was pitching these big animation studios and they were like, uh, oh, honey, you know, that's, <laughs> that's going to be, uh, you know, pretty, pretty expensive, Um and so, you know, I was, and, and I eventually found a, an incredible uh, animator, Noah. Um, and, uh, and, then, and yeah, but I, but I think just to, your, just to your point, it's like there, there are things that, you know, you want to, when you have that patience and that kind of, you know, resolve and, you know, I'm not going to use resilience in the toxic filmmaking way, but like there is a sense of um, staying true to your vision in that sense and seeing how you can capture it. And um, yeah. And yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, and I think it's important to to, to separate the toxic filmmaking from that. And yeah, I, I, like, yeah. Well, I, there there is a lot of toxic stuff that has existed out there, but I I, I feel like there's a lot more positive stuff that existed. It and and oh, yeah. and Nona and I were talking about this before we started rolling, and we were talking about you know how uh, you know how much traction negativity gets, and how that, yeah. that triggers like everybody's uh, algorithms, and that makes a lot of people oh, yeah. money. Negative negative posts make a lot of people money. So yeah, it snowballs. Yeah, man. So there is, I don't think having a vision and I don't think having a, uh, uh, a creative path is negative. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's negative at all. And I think that yeah. 
our job require films require this. I mean, my old joke was that you know making a movie, you're basically convincing a bunch of people, bunch of people to get in a submarine that has holes in it. And you're like, okay, we're going underwater. You ready? <laughs> and everybody's like, what? And you know, that's what you're doing. And and so you don't want. I'm not going to have someone that has no vision convince me to get in this fucking submarine. You know what I mean? Like there has to be. It's going to be fine. You're like, are you sure? Yes. Okay. And then you get in. You know. Um, I, I think it's important for filmmakers to have that, dude. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah, and and it's and you know, Nona can jump in too. But I think something that I think, kind of in the foundation of like Nona and I developing this this director cinematographer relationship is like, you know, there are things that you can that you can accommodate. There are things that you can adapt to. But it's uh, and and this is often you know when people are are trying to you know when they come to me on the scripts or things they're working through and there are things that you that are kind of non negotiables and and things that you that you have to see through. And I think. Like you said, it is truly like, you know, I think what I was telling some of the Fuji folks is that in order to pull off making this film, uh, you need to have a trusted camp around you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like, mm-hmm. there's no way you could have had a fresh crew and, and pulled out the stunts that we did on this film. Uh, there's also no way that we could have shot this film in three days mm-hmm. uh, with with child talent, which is like, you know, cut cut those hours in two. And it's like... It be, through being able to have people believe in your vision and, and not just believe in it, but like have trust in that foundation and like actually love it just as much as you or, mm-hmm. or, or be open to ex, uh, seeing why this guy is so, is so passionate about this vision. I think that's, that's kind of the key ingredient because yeah, I, I really do think it, it's, it's all about the dream team <laughs> as Nona has heard me say, but it's like, yeah, we could, the things we, we accomplished on this, on this film is directly as a result of, you know, the team that I was, that I threw together for sure. Mm. Yeah. And, and all, so go sorry, ahead. Go sorry. Ahead. Nope. No, no, you're the guest. Go ahead. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that it, it really all starts with cams. He just, he has an incredible, incredible vision and he's so honed into what the soul of that vision is. So even if, technical things need to change if logistical things need to change because everything will always have to change for one reason or another. He understands the purpose of the scenes that we are shooting and the purpose of the moments that mm-hmm. we need to get. And in having that confidence and having that knowledge and in, in your script and in your vision um, makes all of that possible. And I think that, you know, we go back to that, whether this is a, a positive or a negative thing, it is absolutely a positive thing because you're your own best advocate. And um, like you said, if the if the director doesn't believe in that vision, then we can't be convinced either. It has to come from them. And, and Cam is um, just so incredible at that. Like I, I, I laugh about it all the time, but I would be like, I don't know if we're going to be able to get this scene. And we just kind of <laughs> smile and be like, yeah, but we're going to get it. <laughs> Somehow. Well, it, Somehow. Yeah, it's it, going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> it blows my mind how many people work in our business and claim to be directors and they don't, they don't do their fucking homework. And it, it, mm. it just blows mm-hmm. my mind that I, I get, I get uh, a lot of credit for just doing my job. And there's been multiple times that people are like, wow, you've, 
you've uh, thought about all this stuff. I go, yeah, that's my fucking job. My job isn't yeah. my job <laughs> isn't just being here on set. Actually, being here on no, set no. is the end of my fucking job. Yeah, like it's everything that I've done before here. And if I did my job right, then I'm not trying to fix things. Like, right. director's prep is so fucking important, and it's this, it's My this, goodness. it's this thing that no one talks about. There aren't YouTube we videos more, about this. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. we need more YouTube videos on that because yeah. to comment on like the the YouTube generation, it's like I don't. It, being a director is so nebulous. It's so difficult to actually mm-hmm. define what you're doing because you are doing so many different things leading up to the thing that everybody sees, which is when you're on set. So for somebody to understand that process, they really just to just have to do it themselves. And you can't, you can't learn it from, I don't know, from what is out there right now from just watching it, it. It has to be something that is trial and error for your own process um, and it's a lot of hard work. And I, I work with a lot of folks where I ask them, what's happening here? <laughs> and I mean, mm-hmm. like, what's happening here? What are we seeing? Like, mm-hmm. what are you seeing? <laughs> and there is, there is a moment where they can't answer that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's bound to happen sometimes. But when it's throughout the process, then it's like, well, you haven't done exactly that. You haven't done the homework. You don't know what the, you know, what the purpose of this moment is. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know, then I don't know how to portray that. I don't know how to shoot that. And the actors don't know how to embody that. And it it becomes everybody's uh, difficult problem to figure out. So yeah. 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 And, and, And I'll say it. Just because you didn't do your fucking job. Like there hits this point where <laughs> yeah. you're just like, if you say, if you say you're a truck driver, if you show up yeah. and you say you're a fucking truck driver and you didn't get your license to drive a truck, then why are you a fucking <laughs> truck driver? And like no yeah. one's calling folks out on this right now. And we live in a, our business is loaded with nepotism, right? And it's loaded with yep. all these pe- folks that are just sort of dropped in here. And yep. y- you're like, all you, it, it, let me try to be more positive, Michael. <laughs> the, 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 no, it's, it's, go ahead, man. Sorry. Go ahead. No, I, 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 no I, first of all, I love it. And, it. and it's, you know, these are important ingredients and those are important realities, right? I yeah. think it's like, if, it, if these are, these are guidelines, right? We're making our YouTube channel right now, but like literally it's like you have people who come from the, Oh, the fantasize, the, the, you know, the idolized, yeah, I'm going to be a director. Uh, that's, that's what I'll do on set, you know, and, and, but it's, you're coming from no foundation or as you say, no truck driver certifications. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm out of the, the school of Kurosawa camp where it's like, I, I'm trying to work as, you know, up to this point, again, as I say, really culminated everything that I had to operate with and instinctually mm-hmm. um, on set from working on different productions, producing, assistant directing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, gaffing, like all of these different departments, having the having an equal um, set of demands and expectations and, and, and care and intention for them is so crucial. You know, I think I think Nona was talking about that that director prep it's 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 a it's a cross department heads prep you know i'm i'm sending mm-hmm. i sent like audiovisual um treatments of of my crazy ideas to each department to kind of see how they absorb it and and get them into that space and understanding and then on top of that you know i think we we visited our our one location like maybe 
three or four times ahead of our tech scout um, mm-hmm. and just kind of getting, getting these, these foundations down, I think is so um, important versus just slapping your name on it and be like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a director. And I, and I think that <laughs> it shows when you, when you go on these sets, right. And, and you see, um, you know, certain environments where they're, they're, they're not prepared yeah. and, or they're not, um, they don't have the moves to react to a, an issue um, or they don't, they don't really understand the capacity of what directing is um, just because I, it's been so, yeah. Dude, I, I, I full heartedly believe, I, like, I, I agree with all of this stuff. And I think that, and I don't know if, if you feel the same way, but director's prep is such a bipolar experience because mm. you go through this thing and you have, I find that I have a great idea or I finally get to a point where there's an idea that I sketched out in a book maybe five fucking years ago that is mm-hmm. that has showed up in the, in the right situation. I'm like, I think this is right. I think this yep. is right. But you're by yourself. Right. And so you're like, I think this is right. I don't know if this, but I have to go down this road. And there's a sense of, for me, there's a sense of insecurity, right? Because I've gone Mm -hmm. down this road a few other times before and I've been like, nah, I fucking failed. That's not right. So now you're judging yourself and you're in your, you're in your own head going like, is my, is my radar, is my, are my senses correct on this? Oh yeah. Right. And yeah. I, I, I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm just going to comment on that because this again, as as my directorial debut, right? Like, and I'm doing the crazy. I'm I'm pushing boundaries on what I'm pulling off. I'm, my my this project is the largest production project I've ever worked on mm-hmm. um, in terms of a short film. And so, you know, at every turn, um, I was, you know, you experience these feelings for the first time of wait a minute, am I, am I, am I doubting this idea or, or is this, is this, this is right. Right. Like mm-hmm. this, I feel it in my bones. I feel it in my gut. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you encounter certain moments and pivots and uh, you know, casting choices and script choices where people come at you and, and they're like, or edit choices. And they're like, Hey, you know, I don't know about that. And mm-hmm. you know, I, I think it's a, it's a constant reminder um, and, and a constant learning of like, actually, yeah, I am, I am very sure on this and, you see the results, um, you know, the, the lead we cast it as, as this, this kid who's, who's a young TJ, um, who's navigating this world, right. We kind of follow him as the protagonist. Um, Mm -hmm. and we casted this, this fresh actor, um, who is just so raw and authentic and, and vulnerable in his eyes when you look at him. Right. And we're, we're in this, um, we have a, we, I think we spoke to like 20 kids who are you know, all brilliant and super, super polished. And like, you know, everywhere from uh, actors in commercials to actors in Broadway productions. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was, there was, um, you know, uh, again, instantly when I saw this kid, I, I knew just because of his authenticity and, and being a, a child, just kind of going through something for the first time and figuring out how to process that awkwardly versus, mm-hmm. you know, such a, a professional who is, you know, now trying to act like a kid. I think they're, they're just like, moments where you have to really commit to, uh, Hey, like you, like, like you said, you sketched this up five years ago and you know it so well and passionately and intimately, mm-hmm. um, that it's, that it's undeniable in terms of, uh, this, this, this spark and this, this creative idea. Well, you bring up an interesting point with casting because that's, that's, I think that's the most nerve wracking aspect of, of the whole <laughs> thing, you know, because yeah. the choices that you make oftentimes under the gun, especially when you're working in the advertising world. But uh, you're like, well, I'm fucked if I do, if I fucked if I don't. And so like there Mm -hmm. have been multiple times and I think you made the right, I think you made the right decision because it sounds like you, 
did what we should do as directors, which is like we mm. find someone that is fascinating to look at. Mm-hmm. And whatever it is that fa- that we're fascinated by in them is is the thing that we're falling in love with on that individual. And that's the thing that we're going to use all the tools in our kit to oh, yeah. exploit and try to make the audience feel the same way. And, and I think a lot of actors get discouraged when they hear this. Yeah. Because they're like, look, I've I've done all my homework and I've I've I fucking learned all my lines and I'm I'm ready to go in and mm-hmm. do this thing. But the reality of the situation is, and and no, no, I'm sure you feel the same way as a photographer. That at the end of the day, we want to look at people that fascinate us. And I'm not saying it's just beauty. I'm saying that yeah. it, it could be yeah. movement or soul or essence. That there's yep. something there that that we have a longing to explore and there's something there that oftentimes that we fall in love with. And for me, at least that could be in the first two seconds when someone walks in the fucking room, like it has nothing to do with it. And then I think as I sort of wrap this up, I think that our next job is to be in that space and go, okay, look, I'm fascinated with this individual. Let's see what they have in their toolkit. Can they handle these things that we're throwing at them? And that's basically what the casting sessions are like, what if I change this mm-hmm. up? And I know you've studied these lines all night, but what if we fuck this thing up? Can you handle mm-hmm. that? Because when we're in war, when we're on set and that submarine's yep. sinking, and I need you yep. to start bailing us out, do you have the <laughs> tools to, to, to fucking do that? You know? Absolutely, absolutely. And and, and yeah, I, I think you 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 put it really eloquently. I, to, it's it's an aura, you know. Um, yeah. Like I'm seeing through this little digital webcam. You know, we're, we're not, you know, on a, on a cinematic lens, I'm seeing this kid and I'm seeing his aura. Uh, and, and that's what's, you know, the essence of this character. And I, and I think it goes, like you said, you know, I, it, it's, it's that trust in what these kids can pull out, what, what these talent uh, can pull out. I think for him, I'll, you know, he went through these three days and he just got deeper and deeper into it. Mm-hmm. And we were fortunate enough to build out our schedule where the heavy scenes just kept crescendoing um, <laughs> and he just got more and more into it and was just rocking the house. And, and this was like his first breakout opportunity. And that's really why I wanted to throw it in, throw it at him. Uh, and he was also kind of a Harlemite so that, you know, he instantly, you know, got it for me, but also <laughs> like, you know, the, the parents casting the parents, you know, I, I had a, <laughs> I had a, you know, this this story is very specific to me, so I'm I'm literally casting a young version of my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, so I knew I knew one guy who I had worked with uh, basically relentlessly. This, you know, my guy Roger Lawrence, and I, you know, the I know that he could bring the energy, and I was like, okay, well, who can match him in this in this chemistry? And there was someone we had, uh, you know, saw a tape for on on this previous project, Speak Up Brother, that Nona and I were on. And she, you know, she didn't get the role because she just kind of didn't fit the, the the cast. But I thought of her instantly, and I and I, and I told Rod, I was like, "Hey, man, what do you think of um, working with, with Clarissa on this?" And he was like, "You know, that's th- funny that you say that because we he he and Clarissa had worked on this play theater production uh, that was them as a couple kind of going through ups and downs that never went on stage because the pandemic happened, mm. um, but they had this built." Uh, relationship and core so dynamic so that hard. that could go both ways, and that was the most crucial ingredient to have for mm-hmm. that for that couple um, to have them have these happy moments and also these these sad moments. But no one is looking down the barrel all shoot, so she can tell you more about these guys <laughs> as well. <laughs> well, 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 no, no. Let me rephrase that question because then coming at it from my time as a photographer and as a cinematographer, I feel like that I would find that same sort of love with how light 
um, mm. falls on people's faces and how like certain folks have faces that if you rotate a light bulb around their face, they turn into all these different characters. Are you obsessed mm. with those same elements when you photograph people? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, like you said, there, there are some folks who just have, a, and, and it's not going to be the same people for everyone. Again, it's, it's going to be something just speaks to you deep down and something about someone just speaks to you deep down and you're immediately going to be fascinated and you're going to be just in awe of them and you're going to want to see them in these different, uh, in different light and in different moments. Um, and it, again, speaks to Cam's knowledge of his own script that he was so dedicated to finding the people who uh, em embodied those feelings. And through his confidence, I saw what he saw in everybody that he cast. Mm. And this is really a film that goes through... Um, I mean, it goes through worlds and it goes through mm. layers and we're seeing these characters through memories of a kid um, going through some some tough shit, right? Going, going through um, losing his childhood home and seeing his parents separate and um, kind of coming to terms with having seen his memories through kind of like rose-colored glasses and then... Mm -hmm realizing that things had been had been bad and finally processing that and, and saying goodbye to this chapter in his life. And because we're seeing it from his perspective and we're seeing his parents from his perspective, um, there's a lot of reckoning that's happening there, mm. right? And mm. visually, we, we had to figure out how do we treat these characters that we both empathize with them, but we also understand... Um, the hurt that TJ is feeling by witnessing all of these moments. Um, so sometimes they look warped and sometimes they look distorted and sometimes they look um, kind of monstrous because that's, that's how it feels to be a kid and to, to feel totally overwhelmed by your parents' negative emotions toward each other. Right. Yeah. Um, but it really, again, it was a script that, that challenged me to, um, from from the practical aspect of it, of uh, hey, this kid has built like um, a little hideout underneath the the staircase. It's it's purely powered by like all these like plastic bulbs, but it's a spaceship. And how do we transition into this animation scene? Mm -hmm. And to hear these memories, they need to feel different than what we're witnessing in the home. Here is the home in present day. It's totally empty. It's very big. How do we make him feel small and the house feel empty, but still preserve the beauty of this mm. incredible, incredible woodwork and like the history of this building. So there's a lot that we want to stay true to while still um, maintaining uh, the, the perspective of this, this child. So um I'm blabbing, but no, no, I, no, I think no. you know what, no, that was, that what you mean. Wonderful. It's wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't, don't dismiss it. It's great. What, everything you said is phenomenal. <laughs> okay, it's time to take a break. And of course, this episode is sponsored by Fujifilm. Of course it is. It's a Fujifilm Creator Series. I'm completely transparent about this. And as we, you'll hear us talk on the show, what I love about Fujifilm is the way that they support filmmakers. 
They do create amazing cameras. They do create fantastic lenses. Their color profiles are phenomenal. Um, the filmmakers that shot this movie shot with the X-H2S. I have used that as well. I love that camera. It's a great camera to shoot short films with. I love it as a great B camera. And let's be real, as filmmakers, you always have to have something sitting in the house when you have an idea and you want to fuck with it, you want to play with it, you want to make something. Maybe it's a short, maybe you just want to test some lighting theory. Maybe you just want to shoot some portraits and see, like you saw this thing in a movie and you're like, can I replicate that? And so then you want the ability to do so. Get yourself a Fujifilm camera. I highly suggest it. The links in the description of this episode are traceable links, by the way. So click those in the description of today's episode. But check it out, man. You can see all the different types of cameras that exist. Maybe you're not a filmmaker. Maybe you're someone that likes to travel and you don't want to take photos with your iPhone. You want to have something cool that you hang around your neck. Check out their still cameras. They're phenomenal. Their lenses are phenomenal. And we bring up a good point on today's show. Sometimes you're in an environment where you're shooting somebody and you don't want the gear to scare them. You don't want the gear to be the center of attention. Getting yourself one of these little handheld cameras that shoot beautiful images, stuff that I can cut into footage that I shoot with Alexas, with Reds, and no one's really going to know the fucking difference. Um, look into it. There's a tool for everything. Fujifilm has a lot of great tools. Uh, and what's really interesting is that they're kind of at the forefront of doing this camera to cloud bit, which is super cool. We've done it. It's awesome. So when you're shooting, it will upload immediately to Frame.io and you set it up in your, uh, your editor. I've used it with Premiere and Adobe, where in that program, everything that's being shot is uploaded immediately into bins in the editor which is so cool. I've done commercials this way where I've been back in the hotel with the clients and I've had the team out shooting B-roll and I'll just go on the phone with them and go, do me a favor, shoot those dragon eggs again. And then literally three minutes later, there's a clip in my bin that I'm dragging in and playing in and going, uh, you didn't give me enough tails on that. Do it again. Boom, 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 boom. It's awesome. It's a really cool. It's the future of filmmaking. It really is. And Fujifilm is at the forefront of it. So check them out. Links are in the description of today's episode. Also supporting the show, our friends over at Puget Systems. I've been showing a lot of love to Fujifilm for how much they support filmmakers and how much they help filmmakers make uh, movies. But I got to show love to the originals, man. Puget Systems. They financed Who's There, which is the second film that comes out. Puget Systems did that for me. They're great. They love filmmakers. They love creatives. They're all over the place. And if you're in the business to build yourself a new computer, build yourself a PC. And instead of building it yourself, right? Because who knows if that motherboard works with that memory stick. It's a pain in the ass. Have Puget Systems do it for you. They're a company, family-owned company here on the West Coast. You go to PugetSystems.com and you can choose a system based upon the software you're going to use. And then you customize it with them. And I'm telling you, I've got this 6K real-time 25 plus layers of video real-time playback fucking banging system and if you want specs for it write to puget systems and say hey what is that what is mike petchy's system what is he using for specs ask them there or go to puget systems on instagram and ask them there be like we listening to mike's show and we we want to buy a new computer 
what does he use? And they'll probably go, well, we built that for him a little bit, a little while ago, but there's some new shit out in the marketplace. Or because you're building a machine that is specifically for that software, you don't need that hardware card that costs a fortune. You can get the last generation and it works even better. They're great resource. Amazing customer support, amazing computers, favorite guys in the world to go have beers with, Puget Systems. Um, if you are someone that get, got your hands on a Fujifilm camera, or maybe you're feeling timid about getting a Fujifilm camera because you have a whole plethora of Canon lenses that you've had for years. You've got thousands and thousands of dollars in a different brand's lenses. And these are lenses that you've shot films with and photos with. And so for some people, they define themselves by the images that are shot through that class. Check out Photodiox, F-O-T-O-D-I-O-X. Photodiox makes lens adapters. They do lights, they do all sorts of stuff, but their lens adapters specifically are what got my attention. And they're usually under 200 bucks. And you can get a lens adapter from whatever manufacturer you have lenses for to whatever camera that you want to buy. It's crazy. So I have Photodiox adapters that go to my Fujifilm cameras. Jeannie uses hers for her Fujifilm GFX 100S. We're able to put Bamiya lenses on that. We're able to put Nikon lenses on a Fuji. We're able to put PL mount lenses on a Fuji. It's awesome. And if you're someone that wants to use PL mount lenses, cinema lenses, you'll come to soon realize how fucking expensive they are. You know how expensive it is to get vintage lenses or anamorphic lenses? It's well beyond your price range. And I highly suggest you don't just buy them outright because you're going to be desperately trying to pay off that gear in a marketplace where most people want you to show up and bring it for free. All right. So if that's the case, how do you get your hands on that stuff? Rental houses. Say this all the time. Form a relationship with your local rental house. Find a place that treats you right. Become friends with them. And if you're in Los Angeles or Nevada, if you're in um, Las Vegas, the place to go is Boca Rentals. These guys have in their inventory all of the coolest lenses out there. If you want the lenses that were shot, they used to shoot Batman. If you want the lenses to shoot that show, you on Netflix. It's all there. You want to get your hands on this stuff. Maybe you want to see how an anamorphic looks using a photo DX adapter on your, on your uh, Fujifilm camera. Go hang out with the folks at, at Boca Rentals. Call them up and say, hey, I want to come in and test some gear. These guys are the best place for it. I love them. They support the show. They're the coolest dudes around. Um, I got so many good things to say about them. That's it, man. Go to BocaRentals.com. Check them out on uh, Instagram. They post so many great informative posts on like what lenses we use for this, and what they have in stock. It's awesome. It's a game changer, man. When I started in this business, rental houses were kind of stuffy, right? And a lot of them, especially on the East Coast, made most of their money sort of uh, getting gear out to like events or television productions. So there was a whole lot of gear that you didn't even need, like live switchers and all that kind of shit. And they were kind of like, yeah, we got some cinema lenses. We got some Zeiss super speeds here. Not like this, man. Boca has all the great stuff. And if you're not local to California, I think Boca does sub rentals. So check with your local rental place and say, hey, do you get stuff from Boca? You know what I'm saying? And finally, if you've just shown up, this is your first time here. And you're like, dude, 
is almost 300 episodes. How do I how do I get started on the show? Do I go to number one? Go to aloveoftheprocess.com. If you're a true fan, like a comic book nerd, you start on issue one and you, you learn the mythology, what the show's about. But if not, maybe you're impatient, maybe you're used to your uh, algorithm giving you exactly what you need all the time. Go to inloveoftheprocess.com and check out my top 30 episodes through there. You can also listen to episodes based upon subject material. It is all curated for the laziness that is you. All right? I'm not insulting anybody. I'm just being a dick. So it's there. Inloveoftheprocess.com. Check it out. Back to the show. I mean, I'm excited to see the movie because of the way that uh, you both seem to have been doing your homework and processing it. And, like, it sounds like it's going to be fucking great. So I'm I'm very excited to watch it. What did you What did you shoot it on? What was the thing that did you guys shoot it with the Fuji? We did, we did. So I um, I met the folks at Fuji through a focus group that they were doing for the XH2S. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and um, I they're they're really incredible, incredible folks. They're really supportive of uh, filmmakers, and they were. They, they kept telling me like, Hey, if you have, if you have a cool idea, let us know. And I had just worked with Cam on a different project and, um, Cam has a lot of really good ideas. So we were, <laughs> we were having like post project drinks and, um, a few terrible, terrible cocktails. And, um, I was like, let me pitch you something. Look, I don't know if this is going to work, but if you have something that will, push the limits of what this camera can do. Let's pitch it to Fuji. Let's see if they're on board. Um, They want narrative. They want visually impactful. uh, They want something that's, you know, out of the norm. um, Mm -hmm. And that's exactly, you know, cam style. It's something that's always pushing the envelope and and, um, figuring out a new visual language. So, he sent me the script and immediately it's like, yeah, this, this is it. This has all of these very challenging and very fun ways of um, how the fuck are we going to get this done? Mm -hmm. Uh, And each scene is so visually compelling. um, And it forced me to, you know, this isn't, um, I I, I don't know. This isn't necessarily the camera package that I would Mm -hmm. uh, feel free to edit this out i don't know well, no 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 no, no. Like, you know it's it's hard because like i i you know i i work in 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 narrative film like we all have our go-to camera packages sure. like we tend to sure. start to use these tools and get to know them like the backs of our hands so we start to um really mold our workflow to the tools that we choose right sure and um this wasn't a camera that i was particularly familiar with um that in of itself was challenging Mm -hmm. and it wasn't um a camera whose latitude i was familiar with and that was challenging because we we again we have so many different scenarios Mm -hmm. um a lot of you know dimly lit scenarios a lot of very bright scenarios a lot of places where we wanted a lot of contrast we we wanted a lot of depth like we really wanted those Mm -hmm. velvety shadows and like those really really nice fall off points and um that was something that was easy for me to quote unquote easy for me but i had achieved it with other cameras Mm -hmm. um but it was a challenge to 
uh, it was a new challenge to to achieve the same thing with this one. Mm-hmm. So, but the advantages were, you know, it's it's a small camera build. We could get it inside of these these really tiny spaces, and yeah. it made it possible to get. Um, you'll see. Speaking of of movement, there. Are, a lot of moments where we just had to throw it on a little gimbal and like move with the kid and, and mm-hmm. move through the entire okay. house. And uh, yeah, some of it was, was steady camp, but some of it we just had to do handheld because we, we literally could not fit in some of these spaces. Yeah. So we really yeah. used every tool in our, um, at our disposal, but the small build helped a lot with that. And um, I think it also helped, you know, we're, we're working with, um, we're working with a child actor. This is his first mm-hmm. film. And mm-hmm. I think there is, it's a lot less intimidating when the equipment looks familiar. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, he's seen a photo camera before he's seen this kind of like setup before. So it's not doesn't something look like, like a bazooka. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't look like something so larger yeah. than life that he's going to freeze up. And I think that really did help him, you know, by the, by the end of it, like, He's he's looking at all the footage. He's pushing the buttons like it's something so familiar to him. So um, I think that also helped get that um, incredible performance out of him because it just made the uh, the space around him that much more comfortable. Well, hold on. Yeah, and and just something on uh, you know pr- pr- known as component to our pitch to Fuji was literally I want to push this camera to its limits. Mm-hmm. Um, and something that we saw just, I mean, something that we meticulously planned for also is that each, each setup, each shot, each scene in the, in the film is different from each other. It's a different stunt. It's a different um, approach. And so we, we really just showed a range and a versatility and then, you know, a bunch of different lenses across the board too. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think we, 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 the whole crew got offset. And like literally, there was a feeling of oh, we've we've got something special here. We all we all looked around like oh, <laughs> this is looking good. <laughs> well, I mean, let me jump in here real quick because yeah. I, transparency is important on this show. So Fujifilm is a sponsor. Fujifilm uh, did help you guys make your film, um, but Fu- yeah. Fuji makes tools, and every year there's a new tool that comes out in the marketplace. And there's always going to be some new rig that comes out. And there's a lot of manufacturers that exist out there. And their big sales pitch is usually rotated around something that their new tech geeks came up with in the lab somewhere. Hey, this is really good for low sensitivity. Hey, we have the ability to store so much more media on this thing. Hey, we're now going to do camera to cloud. There's always Mm -hmm. going to be some new fucking toy. And let's be real about it. There's a warehouse full of these things and they need to get them out of the warehouse. Like that's how it works with manufacturers. What I like about Fujifilm and the reason why I support them and the reason why I'm in bed with them as far as sponsorship is concerned is because they've been focusing more on narrative, on how to tell stories and their tools. If their tools can be involved with the storytelling, they're happy about that. But more Mm -hmm. than anything, they want to get the feedback from us on how these tools could work. And I think your point that you made about working with a young actor who had never really been exposed to this sort of thing before. I did the same thing on one of my movies and I made a mistake because she's standing in front of the largest set that she's ever been on before. And there Mm -hmm. are like three dudes, rough dudes with coffees in their hands, riding on a fucking Mm -hmm. dolly that's pushing towards her in a close up, and she's freaking the fuck out. And you're Mm -hmm. like, Oh man, that was a bad directorial decision on my part. I could have used a better tool for this to get better performance. And at the end of the day, 
you know, it's a fucking shovel and get the shovel that works and bit that digs you the best hole possible. And so I like the points that you guys make on this thing. And, and by no means, I think you guys should check out Fujifilm stuff. I think it's really cool. I think the image quality on them are phenomenal. And then you guys, and they make incredible glass. They make incredible, incredible (laughs) lenses. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, man. these have, they're, you know, they, they really listened to us in terms of what was going to mm-hmm. uh, work in, in terms of the gear. And there were lenses that I, I told them from the get-go, like, look, this is what I want to use. This mm-hmm. is exactly where it's going to fit into the script. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if we're going to do this, <laughs> then we absolutely need to get this right. And they were very supportive in, in that regard. And again, their, their lenses are incredible and oh, yeah. they gave us, you know, their top of the line stuff. Like yeah. we, we shot, I would say like at least three quarters of it on the premistas. And, mm-hmm. um, we yeah. had a few of the, um, uh, our, I think the, the 14 mil Mm -hmm. and, uh, our BTS team had a few photo lenses that we would, we would, uh, bring in from time to time, but, um, they really took care of us. They really took care of us. And as you said, they really listened. And Mm -hmm. I hope that, um, it, it does seem like they're taking all of the experiences that the filmmakers have had with their equipment and they're building toward, um, better and better tools and their color science is already incredible. Like the sensors are already incredible. Um, a a, a lot of it that, um, you know, there's always a learning curve with every camera. I think, um, it's always going to, all the beeps and boops are going to be in different places and that's frustrating in the beginning. And then you just kind of roll with it. Right. Yeah. Um, and right now we're, uh, I, I think in like 10 days, less than 10 days, we're going into, uh, color. And I'm really yes, excited about that because we're, it's the, it's the first time, you know, we'll, um, all have worked on, on, uh, grade with Fuji, uh, uh, with the XH2S footage. Mm. So to see what that, what's possible with our negative is going to be really exciting. And I think that again, having the opportunity to learn, um, a process, um, is part of what makes this job so incredibly special. It's never, it never feels like you, you calcify in any way. It feels like you, um, need to keep pushing yourself, um, to, to learn as much. I mean, like what, what I don't know can fill a warehouse, you know? So yeah, it's exciting to learn new stuff. Yeah. And, and just, you know, within, within the the Fuji capacity, you know, that's, that's um, like Nona and I pretty much investigated the XH2S before we even, you know, sent them our formal pitch. I think, you know, that's one, that's a camera that Nona has uh, in her wheelhouse already. So we, even when we were scouting, we were, you know, bringing, bringing her, her, uh, Mm-hmm. camera to set and just kind of mapping out. But I mean, just in terms of, you know, yeah, tech aside, uh, you know, tech, tech involved, obviously, but, you know, in terms of the, and like to few, like Fuji is basically fusing their tech right alongside narrative directly. And so that was kind of their bigger, um, component to the to the collaboration i mean they they stopped me in my tracks mid-pitch and like hey first of all we're not a sponsorship we're a we're a partnership and Mm -hmm. i was like all right all right guys but like they really showed it in terms of you know what they brought to the table in terms of the lenses nona was looking for at the drop of the hat um you know specific uh 
just needs that we had. And then in terms of the actual, you know, uh, nucleus of this, of this collaboration, they were like, this is about a director spotlighting and it's about this story and within this narrative. And yes, we're debuting this, uh, you know, globally for the first time ever frame IO camera cloud technology, which was an insane thing to work with. Mm -hmm. Um, but on top of that, they really were invested in the story and creative control and, uh, you know, logistics and legalities kind of out the window in terms of making sure it was clear to the vision. And so that was kind of, um, and, and, you know, they, they came to us at the end of the set and, um, you know, just supporting us in the sense of, look, you know, this is the first step. So let's see where this goes. So I got to commend them on, on that. And just like, you know, the, the spotlighting, cause I think, look, I'm talking about directing and I take my craft very seriously and I will tell, you know, uh, someone who with a lot of money tomorrow that I am in fact, you know, the next Jordan Peele, Spike Lee, you know, Easter Ray, whatever, but it's like, they are true to the sense of, um, you know, this, this opportunity for me and this special story that's, you know, vulnerable, cathartic filmmaking, uh, an opportunity that, that was tapped for Nona, you know, would not be here in in existence, you know, without, um, that, you know, and I think that that's, that's the biggest, uh, if we're talking about the industry and filmmaking and how you can get a film off the ground, mm-hmm. having opportunities like that uh, and having those, all this gear in the warehouse that you're not, that you're sitting on, uh, but you're actually going to do something with it and giving this director who's making different kind of shit um, an opportunity, I think is, is invaluable. And so that's what we saw with this one. Smart. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a lot of folks, a lot of folks, I think claim to want to help filmmakers, but uh, <laughs> Fuji really, they they did that they absolutely came through and i shoot a lot of shorts <laughs> and let me tell you you know who wants to fund shorts no one <laughs> absolutely no one so yeah. the fact that somebody said we love this script we want to see this film and we want to see the film the way you want to make this film mm-hmm. um felt really really special it was it was the first time that i had seen that kind of support from um an entity outside of the the filmmakers themselves you know the writers yeah, or the directors or the producers <laughs> <laughs> i'm still shocked <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, they, and, and they see that it has legs right like this yes this is a short but like there is potential for this to be a feature the sure. whole point of this story is that it it exists in a larger universe that's harlem bebop so like that's a whole nother thing so it's got you know all these different avenues yeah man i love companies like this fuji is a big company and then our other sponsor on the show puget they financed one of my short films like it's really great when you can find companies and support like that to to make it happen and and it's it's just nice man it's nice when because what you find Especially with like our buddy Victor over at Fujifilm, you end up forming these friendships, yeah. these friendships Great. that are long lasting friendships that uh, are just so much fun. And I, I mean, at the as we're at the fucking dawn of AI and the, <laughs> the, 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 the constant fear mongering that's going around with it, where people are like, you're no longer going to need actors. And you're just like, obviously, you've never made a fucking movie before. Like, right, right. <laughs> it, it, it's a collaborative process. And you, what you, yeah. you want to do Entirely. is circle the folks around you that love to do it and love yeah. to tell stories. And um, it sounds like you have, the both of you have a great relationship going. And you guys both have the right mindset to, to make really good stuff. And I'd like, I hope you keep doing it. And I, and I can't wait to see this piece, man. I can't wait to see what you both cooked up. 
Oh, thank you. No, we love it. Very uh, much. Yeah, so. stay, stay tuned. We're, we're, we're pretty relentless. So um, <laughs> no, we're, we're excited too. I mean, it, it's, it's going to be a special culmination. Um, well, what's the yeah. goal? What's the goal with it? So are you guys going to do festivals yeah. or what's, what's the deal? Yeah. 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 The, I mean, just, just again, shout out to Victor, you know, like Victor, <laughs> I, I think I had said that's a wrap, you know, and two minutes later he walked up to me with his, with his Victor face and was like, all right. So our last project just got bought. You're, you guys are next. It's time to, it's time to do this. <laughs> and I was like, "All right, Victor, wait till you see the cut." No, but um, but uh, no, yeah. I mean, that's why this this whole process, like you know, again in in, in Cameron Carr fashion, this cut was ready in like May. Um, the what we wanted to make sure we had right was the post production. So yeah, we had our sound mix. Um, you know, we could have we could have had both our, our sound and our, and our color uh, in May and, and wrap it up there to kind of meet the end of this tail end uh, of the festival circuit of this year. But, you know, then I, then I started to think about, look, like, you know, let's not force, first of all, these sessions, right. Let's yeah. not have these, these Harbor is a super busy ass, you know, production company. Um, I'll say it again. Harbor is a super busy production company that just like is, you know, constantly doing features and commercial work. So, you know, I didn't want to rush that staff because they're an incredible collaborative Again, similar to Fuji, they're, they're looking at these up-and-coming short filmmakers who are, you know, trying to be more than just short films. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they see the potential there. So I want to make the most of their time, uh, which is why we're doing our color session, you know, uh, mid-August to, to kind of make sure we nail it. But more, the larger picture is, yeah, our, our first stop is, um, you know, submitting this to Sundance uh, for start of next year to kind of have a clean 2024 uh, festival slate mm-hmm. um, and, and get, basically be the early bird on all of these festivals because you really only have one swing. And there's so many damn shorts out there that people are, you know, programmers are always looking at and, and you know, mm-hmm. deciphering in your digital application. So it's like if you can build uh, and, and use your resources to see if there's a way that, hey, you can get in front of these people to actually have them watch your short. It's only 17 minutes, you know. So it's like see if that can be a reality. And that way you're not um, – joining the late submissions uh, mm-hmm. at the end of this festival circuit where programmers have already have their, you know, slating and they're looking for one specific, oh, we already have this genre. Oh, we already have this kind of film. Oh, we need this specific eight or 10 minute length to fit in yeah. to this plot and block, you know? So I think that doing that is kind of our runway and and we're trying to also rally a bunch of, um, you know, some, some, some EPs that are, that are, turning some heads. So trying to, trying to get that all in, in position to triangulate, you know, like Nona and I <laughs> believe at the core, at the core that this thing is, is very strong and that it's got uh, a serious launch pad. So I think we just want to make sure people can see it. And, you know, these, these festival logistics of, Oh, you can only submit once. It's like, you got mm-hmm. one shot at this. So mm-hmm. if we have, if this is the largest production I've ever worked on, let's go make it like impeccable. So yeah, that's the game plan. Yeah. And then, sorry, I didn't finish, but like, you know, from that is, is hopeful for one distribution to, uh, you know, feature uh, development from this story. Um, again, building the universe to, you know, have that, um, have that play out in the Harlem bebop world. Um, mm-hmm. Cause the most, the most important part, I think, you know, what I told Fuji is trying to try to put Harlem on the map the same way Spike put Brooklyn on the map. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you see within this, this is just one house, this is one location and you see the beauty of Harlem and the essence of it just in that. And, and the storytelling of gentrification and, and the turnover and black communities and, um, you know, not us kind of sweeping things under the rug and not being able to, you know, have, have time to process this as kids or as parents. Um, yeah. and so it's, it's like the message of this that we're really trying to launch out there that I think can 
crack through the damn ozone of this short film hemisphere. Um, so yeah, trying to, trying to make this thing have some legs. Well, it's smart. I think you're smart thinking about festivals that way. I think you're, you're smart processing that stuff. And then, you know, I mean, whatever advice I can give you, like, like yes, to, always. to give you, I don't know if you know the history. I, I know Nona has been following my stuff. I, like, uh, my film 12 km i shot that film in 2016 mm. and i specifically shot that film as a proof of concept for a feature and that was what it initially it. was exactly. and so i got uh i submitted to film festivals uh yeah. because film festivals said we'll take shorts up to 40 minutes there and we go. so i submitted to film festivals didn't get into a single one and i talked to the festival programmers, and they said, well, your movie's almost 30 minutes long, so if we program your movie, we lose, you know, how many shorts in that program. Right, so right. You're, you, 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 you're not going to get into film festivals with this. And I was like, well, fuck, I followed the instructions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, the terms. Yeah. So I guess, all right. And so then what I did, which I learned from doing a Marvel proof of concept or Marvel fan film years earlier that got kiboshed. Um, mm -hmm was that there's a power of the internet and there's a power of building a frenzy around a piece on the web. Mm. And so mm -hmm. what we did is we had a friend of a friend write an article for us. And I forgot on what website it was. I think it was like Twitch or something back in the day. So they, mm -hmm. they wrote an article and the woman was very nice. She was honest. She watched the piece and then she said, I don't know why Hollywood doesn't make a movie like this. And so, mm. and, and, and at no point was the film available for you to see online. There was a trailer. You couldn't see that oh, stuff. Amazing. And then that week, because it was on a specific website, that's, yeah. th there are this handful of websites that all of the managers and all of the assistants of um, agents go through. Yeah. And so they, I got multiple calls that week just because they wanted to see it. And that's so incredible. you can build a frenzy around your work online mm -hmm. that will drive more views to your stuff. And I think you're going to potentially, this is for everybody listening. I think yeah. you potentially find more success in that than you yeah. will in film festivals. Cause I think the thing that's very disheartening to understand, and I've talked to like the dudes from Scott free and all these different companies. And when they, yeah. when they go to film festivals, they're there specifically to see a feature done by a specific person and they're oh, yeah. programmed at the same time as the shorts programs. So your shorts program is not going to have, you'll be lucky if it does. And I'm not saying that it, it doesn't happen, but most of the time you're not going to have the agents in there. You're not going to have any of those folks in there for the shorts programs. So the, the, the difficulty there is like, how do you crack and get yourself into a position because it is a glass ceiling and how do you get past that, ceiling and i think you have to build yeah. especially in our current climate i think you really have to build a frenzy and your own audience built bent on that frenzy um oh yeah because it works man i mean yeah you you bring up an, an a great point because again i i shoot a ton a ton of short films and they might be the most difficult medium to work in because um 
not only do people not want to pay for them, but people don't want to watch them, mm-hmm. right? It's really hard to get somebody to a festival unless their job is already there to be at that festival or they're some way involved, right? Mm-hmm. And then as you said, they program them in such a way that you're not getting, you, you might get eyeballs on them, but they might not be the eyeballs that's going to see your, you know, your worth and your potential and the next step in your career, right? Mm-hmm. And then once they're out, it's like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm sure both of y'all feel this way. Um, it can sometimes be difficult to even get your friends to watch it. They're like, yeah, "Mm -hmm, yeah, sure. You made another film. Great. So did I quid pro quo, baby. (laughs) Gotta watch my shit first. Um, so it's, it's such a, it's such a difficult, you know, you know, it's, it's such a difficult thing. And yet, um, it's so important, I think, for for us to make them. It's so important for us to make them as creatives because it really is where where we kind of like sharpen our skills and we we mm-hmm. hone our skills and we yeah. figure out our voice and we have that possibility to to just try shit and fail and see what works. And I think your point of like figuring out what that film needs to get out there and it not always being the what we think the conventional path is because again i think people think film festivals because they're mostly thinking of features that might not always be the thing for your short film so to yeah. have a really really strong um push and to to think creatively of how to potentially get it out there um is so important and you've obviously yeah. you've done that so so fucking well it's it's Thank <laughs> like you. I said, it's awesome to like to to finally <laughs> see it after seeing so much of it in in the periphery. That um, oh, and all the negative reviews. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, but, but seriously, I mean, we're 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 always going to take these gems, and I think that's important. Again, like you need to listen to all advice that someone, especially. So, thank you for just as a filmmaker giving us that. I think for me, like. You know, no, 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 I'm a pragmatic optimist, yada, yada. I love to do, to, to attempt the impossible and take big swings. But I think, yeah, I think you put it perfectly. Like at the end of the day, this film is a proof of concept. And so, yeah. yes, we're, we're going to be, we're going to be firing all cylinders from, you know, from uh, an internet presence, from a social media presence, from, you know, contacts like that I've been kind of churning up right now and shaking a lot of trees as we're kind of in this post-production stage yeah. um, doing podcasts. So thank you for that. Um, yeah. And like, you know, seeing seeing how Fuji can help us, right, again, like not just be a warehouse, but see, hey, what 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 people can we tap to get this in front of, you know, they're, they're working on, uh, they did it. They did a, a product launch interview for us, but I think they're also working on a narrative um, interview as well. So sure. it's like getting these in all the proper avenues at the same time, everything everywhere all at once. Um, but then on top of that, like, again, you know, cracking at these festivals, doing the crazy, like seeing it, you know, you know, Hey, like the film that Nona and I just worked on, we just, um, we just won grand jury short at, um, Dances with Films at LA, which nice. is, a, is an incon- yes. yeah, which was an unconventional film festival because of the spotlighting it does for like these short films, these short filmmakers. They program their slates like ahead of the features that then you know dial right into them after that shorts block kind of thing, and they have these distributors that come out and kind of speak to everybody. So it's like you know, it's like knocking on all, knocking on any and all doors. So I, I love, I, and I think you know, <laughs> the due diligence in you know, otherwise there would be no point in me spending six years in advertising. The due diligence of all right, it's this time to 
properly promote this film outside of just the lens of this festival circuit. And, you know, not to, I don't, I didn't think I would find myself referencing Barbie, but like, you know, you <laughs> can't, you can't go a damn block without kind of seeing something and, uh, yeah. the, you know, the results show. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, a, I, it's a, I totally love that. I think it's a big part of it and I, I won't go yeah. too far down in this hole, but I, I mean, I'm dealing with this every day right now, as far as like dealing with the, the hundreds and thousands of people that are writing me DMs with their three favorite horror movies. And that's the only way they were able mm. to see my film and the, <laughs> the, the, the back and forth on this has been fascinating. And I think folks don't realize that any movie that exists that you know about on a mainstream mm. level has hundreds of millions of dollars in marketing behind it. And just right. because yes. exactly. you had a friend of yours that said, Hey, you're going to go see that Barbie movie. They were fed that. Or oftentimes that meme that you've shared was actually mm -hmm. created in some marketing department somewhere and then put yep. out there as if it wasn't. So you have to, yep. I think it's all about context really is all about context specifically mm. for short films Mm -hmm. And here's why. I think if you program a short film in a festival, it's very difficult to understand what you're up against. And when you're playing yeah. in that lineup, how many of those pieces in that lineup are, are programmed adequately to be a good lead up or a good follow on mm -hmm. what you're, what it is that your film yeah. is? That's Absolutely. really that's really difficult. And if you're going to invite folks to see something, and this has always been my, and I'm not naysaying film festivals because I just submitted my new one to a bunch of them. I'm yeah. just saying that it's difficult for me to say to people in the industry, hey, do me a favor. Come show up and watch my movie in this short film lineup. I have <laughs> yeah. no yeah. fucking idea what you're in. By the way, it's yeah. a three hour long block. <laughs> yes, yeah, I have zero idea. <laughs> At 10 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. there's, there's this level that's really interesting of I think film festivals, and this is just me being no, 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 please. This is just be, me being very overall. This isn't for this isn't everybody's experience, but I think that film festivals are great because you program in a film festival. If you're going to send it to anybody in the business and mm -hmm. it's been programmed in a film festival, it's like an early sort of like weeding out process. They go, well, someone accepted mm -hmm. it, so this mm -hmm. has got to be somewhat okay. Yes. Right? Yeah. So that's, yeah. yep. that's step one. Step two. Right. When you, when you go to film festivals, you meet other filmmakers and other actors and other creatives that if you're mm -hmm. in a right film festival that has really good film, filmmaker lounges and good events, you're potentially yep. forming relationships that will create other work. That's really fucking solid. But there's a power, and we did this with our movie 12 Cam back in Boston. There's a power yeah. to you teaming up with your friends. So I, I, oh, yeah. I did a screening and my piece is almost 30 minutes. And I said, well, if I'm going to do a screening, it's got to be at least an hour. Mm -hmm. So I went to all of my fellow filmmaker friends that made really great fucking shorts that I felt like fit the tone and vibe of what my piece was. And then yeah. I was like, dude, I'll program your shit in this thing. I'm renting the theater out. I'll do it with you. You can run exactly. it in here. And I'm going to have a bunch of industry people come into the space. You bring in all the people that you work with come into the space. And if you get picked mm -hmm. up, fuck yeah, man. And if I get picked up, all right, great. And there's a power to that because you've then curated that night specifically. To, oh, that's brilliant. To sell yeah, your it's stuff. spotlighting. Yeah. Yes. So no, I, I love that. Yeah. And I'm yeah. I, I, by no means, I don't want you to feel like I'm, you know, preaching to you here i'm also preaching <laughs> no, to the audience first, first <laughs> of all we'll take the preach and second of all like the you know you're talking to a guy who's who's i mean this this harlem fragments would be my third festival 
experience. So yeah. I, I think it's important, right. For, for, again, these, these directors who might be new to this, you know, these filmmakers who might be new to this, like fest, festivals is not your end all. Festivals are like, maybe, maybe, you know, a quick little badge on your, on your, you know, scalp belt, if, if anything, but it's like, yeah. you know, it's th- things like that, like you just described, you know, because I, I think off off the cuff right now, you know, for one, I'm I'm always definitely trying to plan a Harlem festival for this film specifically. But if you if you think about just off the off the top of my head, you know, the film like I've got three to four films that I can show at the same time, and, and this has been a thought of mine. So it's like, you know, known as a DP of, of a few of them. So it's like mm-hmm. th- there there's so much synergy there to. And then they're like good films. So it's again, like you said, like you, mm-hmm. you approaching your other filmmaker friends, like it's good work and, and people show up who are in the industry and they're like, Oh, well, I mean, this is, this is, this is good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's out. yeah. So yeah. I, I think that's a great gem. No, not at all preaching. Well, and I, I also want to, I also want to plug, well, not even plug. I, I want to point out that our business is very competitive and mm-hmm. there is often this, like concern or worry, like, oh, fuck, if I program his film or if I, if I yeah. screen with his film, then he gets the gig and I don't get the gig, then fuck, that, yep. that completely yeah, screws out. Right? And I think that's the wrong way of thinking. I think that so if right. your friends get work, you're going to get work. If your friends find right. success, you're going to find success. And I think it's important at, in, a, in a world where as independent filmmakers, we're completely mm-hmm. outweighed by thousands millions and millions of dollars made selling fucking toilet paper to <laughs> us to being delivered on our front porch we mm-hmm. can't compete with that kind of advertising we just cannot yeah. compete with that i think it's important that we pull ourselves together as a community or as friends or your small little community or all those people that you love to work with and make yeah, it work and absolutely it's the only way to break through i think I mean, you're, you're, you're now, now you are preaching uh, to the choir because, and I'm loving it because like <laughs> that is, that's like, I think that's the crucial ingredient that I think a lot of folks, you know, might not have, like, I, I don't, especially in this independent film landscape, you can't make it like the Hunger Games. And I think that, you know, no one knows this, like, that's the intention that I set within my crew. And I, I you know, I, <laughs> because again, I'm crazy. I call my, I call my, my squad, you know, the, the Harlem Renaissance 2.0. Um, and it's yeah. like, it's this it's just this clue this crew of like eclectic, you know, uh filmmakers who are all, you know, loving each other's jams and all super talented and all like filmmakers in our own regard. Um, but we come together because, you know, again, if one of us is doing well, we are all going to be in that orbit. Yeah. And I think that that's the way you're and I and I think that your point there is such an in, an interesting dichotomy to your last point of like, you know, when you have subjective programmers out there who are putting together these independent films all on the same block you don't they're so different they're so like the budgets are different you know you could be there as a, as a filmmaker watching your film slated up with these other ones and just get psyched out again you're just like oh my god like oh my god. like oh, what did i do with this film you know this mm-hmm. film, that film was you know so i think it's like like you said it's such an include and it's timingly so such an crucial uh such a crucial ingredient to have the sense of community and collaboration right now across you know filmmaking avenues yeah I agree. Well, I think this is a good spot to end this, man. I, like both, 
both of you, it's been a great. I could have just done solo episodes with the, each of you, probably. Gone I'm, for I'm loving it. I'm loving two it. Hours. <laughs> um, this has been wonderful. And I said this before and I'll say it again. I'm very curious about the film. I can't wait to see it. So you have to send it to me when you're finished. Absolutely. Absolutely. Please um, let us know what you think. Yeah. I mean, yeah. really, thank you so much for all of your insight. And it really. I, you know, just to, to tag on to what we were just talking about, I have gotten a hundred percent of my op- opportunities and my, my, um, all of like so many of my jobs have come from my friends in the film community. Mm-hmm. Um, it really has like, I'm nothing without my support system and I'm nothing without my network. And, um, this was the second time that I worked with uh, this crew for for Harlem Fragments, and um, it is really, really incredible. And it's really special when um, you get folks like that together who are working for a common goal. And it doesn't it doesn't always happen on every set, but once you find people like that, um, you should not let go of them. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really really important. I think that we we band together and that we help one another out because this like idea is false scarcity is exactly that. It's mm-hmm. it's false. Like there's right. no limit to there's enough for all of us. We 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 should not um, hesitate to help one another out and lift one another up. All right. Well, that's yeah. that's a good way to <laughs> end it. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you for uh, being on the show, the both of you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank Mike, you. and thank you. Appreciate appreciate all the gems and the insight and, and just, you know, the interest in our film. Uh, feeling feeling jazz on a Monday, so appreciate that. <laughs> it's a good way to end a Monday for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. Time you travel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to let you all know that the future looks very, very bright after this conversation. There it is in the can. Great episode. These these uh, Fujifilm creative series, they, I'm always introduced to like very vibrant, excited, fun people, young people that work in this business. Uh, it's always very inspiring to get the juice from them. You know what I mean? To feel that. Uh, the, the three of us, you guys didn't even realize, the three of us were offline talking for another 25, 35 minutes. And it ended up being like a therapy session because we're all in this world, right? Currently on the 24th of July, the strikes are still happening. And so we're all sort of processing this industry. And I think by the end of the episode, I was very happy it went to where it did, which is supporting each other as filmmakers. You really have to leave jealousy at the doorstep. You really have to leave that concern that someone's going to fuck you over at the doorstep, man. Because it's true. You got to put yourself out there. You got to trust that people have your intentions in place because most of the time they do. And sometimes they don't. Sometimes you get fucked over. But the positive stuff that happens from opening that up outweighs whatever small petty fuck over that you had. It always does. It always does. So living in fear, in fear of someone else getting there before you and fear of all that stuff is dangerous. And believe me, I know what it's like. I feel it all the time. I'm sure that if you're a young filmmaker, you have the same thing I do. You watch someone make something and you go, why did they fucking get that? And I didn't get that. It's not because of how good you are. It's not because of how good I am. It's about, it's about circumstance. It's about luck. It's about right place, right fucking time. 
All these things play a factor into whether or not we can do what it is that we want in our career. It's crazy. It's it's fucking frustrating, but it is the truth of how this business works. And I hate it. You know, you have to swallow that pill every day. It's the it's the hardest part about what we do. The easiest part and it's difficult, but the easiest part is making it. It's all this other shit that drives us insane. <laughs> and I hope this show helps you deal with that insanity. It's helping me to vent and to talk to you all. Helps me stay here, man. And, and I love the feedback that I've been getting from the fans of this show. Please, if you like the show, if you have a topic that you want me to discuss, if you guys want to go off and start nerding out about movies, drop me a message on Instagram. Send me something. You can put it under one of my posts. If you don't want to end up in the fucking sea of 12 cam DMs, say it in one of my posts. Like, dude, what do you think of this? And maybe you should try that. All that stuff. I read all my posts. I do. You'll see me comment on everything. And someone was giving me shit the other day. Like, how do you have the time to comment on stuff? It takes a few hours. What else am I going to do? I'm going to sit around and watch some bullshit on TV. You know? It's fine. When I'm unemployed, I have the time. When I'm not, I don't have the time. And... Believe it or not, we spend most of our time unemployed. <laughs> That's how this system works, especially currently in the environment we're in. So I'd much rather be spending my time meeting you all and conversing with you all instead of setting up this relationship that I hope lasts for a while. I really do. Those of you who are interested, I think I still have, I know for sure I still have some In Love With The Process t-shirts. I think I got larges, maybe some mediums, maybe an extra large kicking around the storyboard t-shirts if you live in the u.s if you live i can even ship to the uk australia and canada sorry for those of you who are from india there's so many of you i can't ship that far even if i could it'd be very expensive it'd be ridiculous so if you live in those zones comment send me a comment anywhere or here's an easy way to get past i don't know why i don't do this often here's an easy way to get past all those dms send me an email to in love with the process at gmail.com. In love with the process at gmail.com and say, hey, what do you got left for shirts? Let me know. Sometimes I throw in a pin. I still have those limited edition pins kicking around. So uh, let me know. All right, that's it. A lot more episodes on the way. You know the deal. I'm going to leave you with a sweet track. And uh, as always, I'll see you next Tuesday.